Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, the Last Nighters, and the Last Nighters are part of Launchpad Media, where we're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is going to be episode 40, nope, sorry, 83, 83 of the show, and you can find show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 83. We are going to be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation, season three, episode 16, called The Offspring, with our friend Pat McFarlane from Liberty Weekly. He has joined us for many episodes in the past, but this summer we've been doing an entire series on Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. We've done one from season one, season two, and now season three, uh, but they all are sort of uh, having a continuation. Uh, Pat is a lawyer, and uh, he can tell you more about that in just a moment, but we like to get him on for things like this, where we're talking about the legality of uh, things, the uh, theory behind the justice of what is pre- <laughs> depicted in the episode, and uh, this is going to be a fun one. It's, it's directly related to the one we just did last time called The Measure of a Man, where they talk about the sentience and uh, self-ownership of Data, who is an android. And in this episode, he creates an offspring. Do the rights that were afforded Data or discovered for Data, I think that's how you'd put it, Pat, uh, do they apply to his offspring? So, Pat, welcome to the show. Uh, remind everyone where you're from and maybe just correct any of the mistakes I've made before we get into this episode, sir. Yeah, I'm Patrick McFarlane of the Liberty Weekly podcast. I'm a practice attorney in North Central Wisconsin. I am a personal injury and civil rights attorney. I do the plaintiff side, so fighting the good fight for the little guy. Um, So some people would call that ambulance chasing. That's not what I do. But if you've been in an accident, uh, definitely I'm the guy to help you out. We have some interesting elements at play that I found out in our pre-show bonus content for the Patreon, something very interesting to tackle here at the end of the episode, The Offspring. Um, So really looking forward to diving into that. Yeah, all all kinds of interesting legal questions that we'll be speculating on because, you know, this is obviously a TV show and we don't know, you know, all the legal ins and outs are, all we get is the surface view, but we can speculate and that'll be really fun. I agree. Circle gets the square yet again. So the episode is... Season 3, episode 16, called The Offspring, and the description is, hoping to further his creator's work and perpetuate his data creates an android named Lol, and that's the description. So not a whole lot to go on from there, but um, the basics are that in the prior episode, like we were saying, data has, it's been realized that data is a sentient, self-owning being and he has rights like anyone else would have any other human in the federation would have and so i guess the question becomes now data is secretly creating another android being he's continuing the work of union sung is that the name of his creator and there's some new discovery in positronic brain technology that he's experimenting with and he imports his his mind into this new brain and creates this freaky deaky uh androgynous android character that um little side story here my daughter who is six now she came into our uh, our bed while we were watching this on the ipad and ended up watching this episode with us and the little cree um before it had assumed its gender uh, it kind of creeped her out a bit so yeah it's a little pink thing uh, it just looks looks it doesn't really look like a android it looks more like a salamander of some kind i don't know yeah, but she also ended up, after uh, watching the whole episode, she became a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation. And so she's since watched a couple more episodes with us, and it's, uh, you know, a new fan. So that's good. So, uh, Pat, any take on what we've opened with here? Well, it's kind of interesting. That's how I became a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation 2, is that I was forced to watch it to be on your show. 
Uh, but fortuitously, it's a pretty good show. It has good writing. Um, as we've discussed in the last two episodes, there's lots of very interesting legal, ethical, and moral questions that you tackle here. Uh, I don't know. This one, I thought we were going to really pick apart whether it would be socially acceptable nowadays to have an episode like this. I was kind of waiting for them to kind of come out and say, or Data would say, oh, but people can't pick their gender at some point in time. It's kind of interesting now because with the Democratic debates, you see uh, the fact that the DNC has rejected Barack Obama as being too right-leaning. Uh, Tim Pool had a few videos about this, but times change and times change very quickly. So I don't know how the interplay would be with this and the modern state of progressive identity crisis politics. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was watching this episode and I'm like, this is where the left got it. Like they saw this 20 years ago and they're like, oh, people should, children should be able to choose their gender because Data let his, uh, his offspring choose its gender. And that looks like a great idea. And that turned out totally awesome. It became kind of a non-issue in this episode. But I think in in real life, letting your three-year-old choose a gender is, what do they know at three? Yeah, in this episode, it's really kind of in the background. I mean, she just happens to pick a female and everybody just kind of rolls with it. They really could have gone more into the gender question. I think if it was written today, it would have been all about the android picking a gender. And it would have been so important and would have gone really... in this episode, yeah, they, they focus more on the parenting angle and whether or not the parent has the right to basically keep the child or whether the state has the right to basically kidnap the child like they do in England. Yeah, or in uh, Roman times, right? They would take the, uh, take the children of the vassals, right? Take them to Rome to be taught under Caesar. And there's some famous saying, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, don't send your children to Rome and expect them to not come back as Romans. I haven't heard that, but that makes perfect sense. It kind of makes a big deal if you've who educates your child, what they what they turn out to be. It's not a surprise that all these children raised by the state, educated by the state, become full blown statists. Right. Now, did you guys after, you know, we discussed the last episode and Picard was pivotal in the argument for data's self ownership, right? He had many great questions just couldn't be answered by the the guy who wanted to take data apart. And we don't even know the answers for some of those questions for us, for humans. And so, you know, it was like a really strong philosophical conundrum that was presented. And here we've got Picard, who, upon learning that this lull character is created, and the Wesley says, it called you father. He's referring to it as an it. Um, but then, you know, noticing the parental kind of relationship already being established. But Picard immediately is like, it's not a child, it's a thing. And why didn't you consult with me, Data, that you were doing this? And Data makes a great point to him. And he's like, well, Captain, there's many children created on this ship, procreated on this ship. Am I supposed to, are they all supposed to get clearance from you? You know, you may be dismayed at this, but um, do we need like a a hall pass, a booty pass to be able to do anything? Yeah, it really appears as if um, Picard directly contradicts that last episode that we did. And I don't know if it's Data having like that quick quip wisecrack or, you know, making that point. I don't know if that's what makes Picard walk him back and then admit, okay, yes. Cause he, he kind of morphs in midair and does that whole thing. Well, do you know what you've done at this point in time data? Do you know what kind of responsibility you've undertaken? Uh, what were you going to say, Rob? Oh, I don't remember, but well, um... I, I've got a, I've got a point we can make. If you want to jump on this, Robert, he well, I... data offers to just shut it down. And Picard says, no, you can't just shut it down. And I don't know if in the lens of 1990 or 92, whenever this was made, that would be viewed from an abortion angle. But I, that's what I saw when I was watching. Well, I thought it was interesting how when Picard first meets, finds out about the android, 
he's very much on board with this being an invention of data's, like this very fancy invention, not a child. But then I think it's Troy who has the argument that, well, why would we limit our view of children to just biological organisms? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, the method of creation shouldn't limit our scope of what is replication or reproduction, I suppose you could say. Like if I sit down at a workbench and create something and consider it my child, if it's a sentient thing, why is that any, should that, should that therefore not have self-ownership because I made it with a hammer and tools as opposed to, you know, the traditional way of making a baby, you know, where you, um, I don't know, how, what, what, they both sit on the to same toilet and that's how it happens. And then this, the stork comes and leaves a quarter under your pillow or something. Right. And so Picard is swayed by this argument. And from then on, you know, Troy calls Lal a new life form. And then, yeah, Picard's right on board with it going, well, you can't just turn it, shut it down because this thing is alive and that would be a murder. Yeah, and it's so almost it, like Troy's using the same argument that Picard used at the end of the trial, determining that Data did it, in fact happen. So maybe it was just reminding him of what his old argument was, his own argument. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's holes. Anytime. I mean, these, these episodes are, you know, written in a writer's room, but, you know, they can't always remember every last little. But yeah. Um, yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out is that scene where... Picard is talking to Data about this. I'm dismayed you didn't come to me for this is where you get that famous gif of Picard putting his head into his hands and you know for like being dismayed and like uh I use it pretty often when I'm debating with people like oh I can't believe how dumb this person is you know it's a good one there's also the facepalm one I think that's another episode but yeah those are good stuff yeah. um so, so Robert define the parameters of sex what that, that's what Lal asks uh Define the parameters of sex, right? Doesn't she ask uh, Data about that? Because you're the father, you're you're gonna have to answer this question to your child someday. So you do it. Well, I, I was already doing it a minute ago. I said that the stork comes down the chimney mm, mm -hmm. and leaves a quarter under your pillow, and then right. then you've got a baby. This is all scientifically accurate. Yes, it changed my mind. You know, prove me, prove that I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. This is uh, this is kind of. I think that that Picard's kind of on board after that, and then. Starfleet, the bureaucracy, catches wind. And they're like, oh, hell no. This is something that we need to intervene in and take control of the situation and separate these two. And the the Admiral, I think, Admiral Haftel, is that right? He wants to move Lal to Gaylor 4, which is like a scientific research thing, saying that they'll have more opportunity to like work with her, teach her, and learn from her, um, but with no consideration for any relationship or familial bond established between Data and his offspring. Right, because for them, it's basically like your fancy toaster just made another fancy toaster, I would assume. Although they seem to be respectful of Data's sentience. They, they do reference the court trial episode at one point in this episode where Picard's like, I helped define the terms of something like that. But on a side note, I'm, I would be more expecting that Starfleet would come in and go, so data can make more of these things. Things are the greatest things ever. Why doesn't let's just put him to work making these things twenty four seven? From a practical standpoint, you would want because he even makes the argument later on that hey, you don't want two of these soon type androids, you know, in the same precarious place. One lucky shot could blow up the whole thing and get rid of them all. Well, if you got one that can replicate and make more of these things, which are clearly amazing beings that can perform all these calculations, Picard relies on data all the time. You would want more of these things in production. At least I would. Like a whole droid army or a clone yeah, army. You know, you know. So you could maybe take over an intergalactic empire. Maybe you're fighting a war with the Romulans. 
you got you could put one on every ship then you could have an army of these things right but didn't we end the last one with that was the the Guinan point like they're a, like another class being like property well there's another word for that and that was one of the reasons why they established that oh you know if we don't recognize the data has rights then we essentially have created slaves here oh yeah no there's they're definitely showing us that starfleet is a more aware type you know I don't know, kindler, gentler type fascist federation, oligarchy. I don't know. We we it's it's unclear exactly how feder the federation is organized, right? If people voluntarily join, if they extract taxes, we don't know. All that sort of they draft. Well, they're beyond money, and they even they said in that last episode that data applied to Starfleet, so it's okay, going to be a volunteer so a, thing. Well, you can volunteer, but in times of war, do they conscript? In times of need. Because yeah. that's the way it is now. It's a volunteer army, right? They have unlimited resources. Scarcity is gone. So they are not burdened by the scarcity of people because there's unlimited people. And you know, no, why can't they just throw data in the replicator? It's not how they make their food. Then they just replicate food. Just throw him in there. All right. what, what's the deal? Stop just make poke, a thousand of them. Stop poking holes in this, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, another thing at the prior episode was that the whole point that the guy was trying to do by taking apart data was to create more datas and here here you are here he sits right your point robert is now yes. now you have one that can actually do that so yeah. if that was their goal before and now the goal has been achieved is, is achieved impossible and isn't this the same thing that uh, the jared leto character was doing in um, blade runner 20 trying to create new like perfect beat you couldn't tell weren't real anyway is that what that movie was about i don't remember <laughs> it's been a while since you looked at that one but uh yeah but now now that they can achieve this now they don't seem to care and back to that argument well you can't have two of them in the same place because yeah one lucky shot well your position isn't any different really than it was before when you had only one because when you had only one you were in the same position as one lucky shot right you would you would guard data with your life and put him in the most secure location possible if that's your argument. Right. You wouldn't put him on this starship going around uh, getting getting into risky shenanigans situation, which right. was basically what he was saying. Why he didn't want him out on a starship, he wanted him on the Galer Four, which probably blew up at some point. I don't know my lore, but you know they always have some far far outpost that has some crazy thing happen. Oh, they're always blowing up. So let's talk about um, unless Pat's got some ideas. Let's talk about. You know, Picard instantly pivots to from this thing as an invention to, hey, this thing's alive. And spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, she sort of dies, but she could only really die if you considered her alive to begin with. It kind of calls into question what we think life is. I mean, we kind of settled this in our last episode was, I mean, if we're going to assume that Data is alive, right, because he has sentience and therefore rights, then we have to assume that she is alive. So... I think this kind of doesn't the episode result in her suicide sort of right. And she gets emotional like all women do. Tell me about it. Well, and, and then I, I don't, I don't see how data can have no emotions, but at the same time be so adamant that law not leave and that she not be removed from his care unless it's a purely logical thing for him. But some logic would this would disagree with that. Yeah. He seems to take the parenting role. Like this is an obligation that I have undertaken voluntarily and nobody can relieve me of that obligation to be the parent and logically that's what i need to do does that really follow like what is his what is his underlying ethos is it utilitarianism like this is the best result under the circumstances we need to break a few eggs to you know make an omelet yeah he seems to pattern his life and his you know morals and whatnot off of 
the humans he interacts with, right? Because he says that his goal with Lull, when she asks what she's doing there, is to contribute in a positive way to society. So therefore, I guess... to be a pragmatic... Right, the pragmatic... And I guess that's what I meant by utilitarian, is that, well... Yeah. It's not because I love her, it's because I need to coach her. The best way for her to contribute positively to society is to be under my care. I don't know, man. I I think it goes back to Data not being able to do contraction. Right. Basically, there's no reason why he couldn't, and... (laughs) So he's just quantum being... quantum flux or whatever he said. <laughs> they said there's some difference in the quantum field, and that's and that's why she can make contractions. But my my point is, he's just a man who's denying that he is actually sensing emotions or feeling emotions. So he actually does have love for her. He just says he can't, and that's why she says, "I'll I'll feel it for both of us." Because you're right, his actions demonstrate his care for her, his feelings, his emotions for her. So he may not call them emotions, but they are emotions. All right. In an effort to keep moving along, because we can get into the weeds here on this show and we don't have a lot of time. Let's move on to, and we can always circle back. Let's move on to when Wesley Crusher suggests that Lol be sent to school. So he suggests that and Data responds with, but she already has access to the sum of human knowledge. Why does she need to go to school? And Wesley says that, well, she can still learn a lot at school. And it's usually the argument against homeschooling that kids need to be socialized, fitting in with society and that sort of thing. So, Daniel, what did you react to that? Well, whenever I hear, where are they going to get socialized? I always hear it, not the way they intend it, but the way it actually is. Like, yeah, that's where they get the collectivist socialism uh, bug put into their heads. You know, that's where they get the, you must conform, you must listen to uh, these people who are going to tell you what to do when you can go to the bathroom all of these things. Um, and I, I saw a meme a while back, but it was basically like, if I wanted my kid to get socialized and it had a big list of all the things that happen in school, like get bullied, get told they're dumb, uh, get criticized, get bad grades, whatever, then uh, I just beat him up myself or something like that. I don't know. I got to find the meme. I'll put it on the show notes page. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty flimsy argument. I think that there's a lot more opportunity to be quote unquote socialized or be able to uh, interact with people in society by going out into your community or going out to businesses or going out to farms and zoos and museums and things like that, that um, sitting facing all the same direction for 45 minutes and then moving to another room and sitting there for 45 minutes. That That's not, that that's like a day prison. Well, and especially for uh, an Android that has access to all knowledge in the universe or whatever, all the, some knowledge that they have. Like she goes to a school and then it's just, you know, rote memorization and then regurgitation, right? So that's completely a waste of time. She knows all the answers before the teacher starts talking. So all that she would really get there is the socializing and then the the indoctrination about, you know, whatever like ideology that the teacher is pushing the Starfleet to push upon her. Right. What the, she actually does, and I think is better is that she goes to the local bar and she works as like a cocktail way, observes humans that way and interacts that way. You know, the Admiral reacts in horror to that, but I thought it was actually a pretty good idea. Yeah, that's basically my homeschool plan right there. But um, back to the socialization that Wesley suggests, and then she does go to the... Well, they try to put her in with a group with older kids and then there's something that doesn't work. So then they put her in with younger kids and they're all scared of her and laugh at her. And so she actually did get the socialization that many kids get in school. And that is to be made fun of or to be bullied or laughed at. And so in a way, intended or not, they actually are fairly accurate in what happens. But is that a positive step for Lal? 
could she have learned that some other way? Was that a great thing that she learned? I mean, she learned something, I suppose. People can be cruel and whatever. It's the kids. Yeah, see, I'm torn on this. Sometimes I think that having to overcome adversity and face makes you better, toughens you up, strengthens you, gives you resolve, helps you to overcome things. You face similar difficult situations later on in your life. Then you have that to call back on, and it gives you the ability to overcome those things later on. And so, you know, if... if if everything's provided to you all the time, 24-7, and this happens with our kids, they get spoiled. And I'm not saying that I want to put my kids in into a situation where they're going to be bullied, laughed at, and those types of things. But I do want them to be put in situations that are challenging and difficult and not have them give up so that they actually do have to like persevere and push through. And it's like this delicate balance. And it's also a, uh, a thing that we, my wife and I, are going to individually customized for each of our kids. It's not like they can do that in a where there's 30, 40 kids. They've all got to cram them into the same little, you know, the little partitions and teach to the middle of the class or, or just above it, you know. So they're holding back the bright kid and they're dragging along the underperformer and it's it's a big mess. Shocking. Uh, a monopoly doesn't react positively to the the needs of its customer. I'm shocked. Totally shocked. And and data brings up the point of uh, differences sometimes scare people. And I don't know if this was some pre-wokeness from Star Trek. I mean, the original series was one of the very first have a, a biracial, like, is that how you say it? Like a... Interracial kiss. Interracial kiss, yeah, between, was it Uhura and uh, James T. Kirk? Uh, yeah, Kirk. Yeah. And so, and, and that's totally cool. You know, that's like groundbreaking, what have you. Um, and they were very early on in that. But I wonder if the differences sometimes scare people was a a nod towards, you know, racial tension, which I don't know if the mid-90s were as bad as now or before. It's like, you you look at social media and the news media, and it's like, oh, it's it's a race war now or something crazy. You know, it's like everything's amplified. But I, got, I, I, I have a feeling that things are actually better. Like, your day-to-day interactions with people are fine, no matter what their race, race is, right? Yeah, that's why they have to nitpick these tiny little things and make blow them up into huge issues in order to maintain the outrage. Yeah, I mean, right. What... They, they are fine, you know, until you come across people in your life that get hyper offended about shit. Then you got to deal with that awkwardness. But I think they get it from the social media and media like that. Yeah, yeah, with the lack of nuance in social media. Social media derangement yeah. syndrome. Yeah, which I, I got off Twitter and Facebook a couple weeks ago. It's been fucking great. You know, I keep hearing people say that, like, oh, I'm off of social media and I love it. It is. It's like quitting heroin, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. I don't, I mean, I don't really know much about, I don't follow what's going on in the world anymore, but I'm better for it. Yeah, I think that that's probably not a bad thing, you know, because like what's going on in the world, how does that really affect you? I mean, right. at the same time, you do want to be aware of things, appreciate other cultures and be a good but you- and selectively do that you can have it be more purpose-driven instead of having shit shoved in your face like here this is what happened today be mad about it or democrats are saying this or this is you know and you can still kind of listen to selectively listen to podcasts and stuff that you know what the topic is so you're like okay well i'm gonna voluntarily expose myself to this instead of just scrolling through a timeline or seeing you know shit on twitter like that that's kind of an aside yeah that is kind of a side now we keep referring back to our prior episodes and so i just throw the numbers out the first episode we did which isn't really related to this one was episode 74 and that was them going down to the planet we have this like really weird justice system where wesley trampled some plants and they wanted to kill him over it 
That was a really good discussion. And then the measure of a man, which was the one where they were determining whether data had rights, was episode 79. So if you want to, audience, go back and hear that one, you then come back to this one. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll make more sense, our conversation, because we're referring back to you. We are. Well, so my big question, legally speaking, you know, um, what parental rights do people have in the Federation? I mean, how is that determined? We already saw somewhat of what the arbitration system, the court-martial system, um, I found it wanting. Uh, but, you know, that might have also been because, also referring to our last episode, the tribunal was a little makeshift and haphazard, and there was a plot device for that saying that, oh, this is a new part of the system where we don't yet have all of the um, JAG officers in place yet. But I can tell you how that shit works in the U.S. legal system, if that's a road that we want to go down. But I don't know exactly, you know, how much bearing that would have on how it's handled in the Federation. But um, I'll just go ahead. So in in the U.S., we have the 14th Amendment. And so the Bill of Rights, contrary to what people really believe, the Bill of Rights don't apply to the states. Originally, the Bill of Rights um, applied to the federal government. And selectively, the Supreme Court took individual decisions from the Bill of Rights and incorporated them and lorded them over the states. So beforehand, all these social issues would be solved by according to the state constitution. So you actually had some diversity, which was what was intended between the states in making these kinds of decisions. So throughout the years, all these cases go to the Supreme Court. And because of John Marshall, we have judicial review, in which case the Supreme Court says our job is to say what the law is, um, or we are the ultimate, that's where they kind of take the authority to be the ultimate arbiter of constitutionality. So one by one, they lord the federal bill of rights over the states. And now all these social issues we have go through what a completely court, Supreme Court created decision of what the bill of rights means. So they've created this tier system by which there's like three tiers. There's the fundamental right, like the right to free speech, uh, the right to raise and rear your own children it has been determined a fundamental right. And so they say, okay, well, part of what this 14th Amendment jurisprudence is, is determining, okay, what is a fundamental right? So all these things like, um, you know, your gender discrimination, Second Amendment, First Amendment, um, they determine these, what is a fundamental right? So if it's determined to be a fundamental right, then you get strict scrutiny. So any governmental law that curtails a fundamental right gets strict scrutiny, which means they'll look at the law and determine whether it serves a compelling governmental interest and whether it is narrowly tailored to uh, solve the problem that it's intended to solve. And to determine that, they look at statistics, different circumstances. And so, you know, contrary to what the Bill of Rights may say in plain language, this set of case law that the Supreme Court has created for itself makes none of those rights absolute. We can definitely curtail and regulate a fundamental right if the governmental interest is compelling enough and if the law is narrowly tailored to deal with exactly what it is. So, for instance, um, I have some case law in front of me that I won't burden up, but child abuse, they've determined that there is a fundamental governmental interest in regulating child abuse that is getting rid of it. So even though it is a fundamental right to determine how to raise your children, we have made the decision the Supreme Court has that child abuse, it's a compelling governmental interest to uh, prevent it. So we can regulate your fundamental rights in raising your children in that way. So that's kind of how it's handled in the U.S. They determine whether any law, if you're going to challenge it according to the Federal Bill of Rights, they determine whether any law 
um, is narrowly tailored to serve the, a compelling governmental. And so that's the foundation for, you know, how this would be handled in the United States. I don't know how it is in the Federation. Well, how do they determine what is and what is not a compelling whatever for in the government interest? Um, I mean, it's all relative. They look at, I think it's all relative, but they look at prior decisions. Um, but they, what is a compelling governmental interest? When they determine that, they look back into what governments, what governmental interests have been in the past. But do they even look at whether or not governments are capable of solving such an issue? Like, like there's no law you can pass that would prevent child abuse. Yeah, but you it's can, already illegal, right? And it right, still happens. Right, but I mean that that's an example. But they don't look at whether they're actually good at preventing the behavior that they want to prevent. They just look at whether or not they can do it, whether it's a compelling governmental interest to prevent it. Well, there's a compelling governmental interest in that they're human beings and they have a compelling interest in seeing that human beings are all fed and clothed and housed. But yet they leave food up to the free market and it handles just fine. Yeah, but I, I guess from that instance, they'd say, okay, well, that's why we need welfare, which is provide for the people who aren't getting, you know. It sounds like a slippery slope to me. And Robert, I mean, Robert for a second, you sounded like one of the Democratic presidential. <laughs> Wait, candidates. I sounded like a Democratic presidential candidate just now. <laughs> yeah, like well, everyone How dare you, sir? Health care, wash your mouth out with soap, food and housing. Yeah, government needs to provide all that stuff, right? Yeah, he's biting that female. I like that line from Lal, which means beloved in Hindi. I think I'm trying to take this back to the episode. How dare you? What'd you guys think of Haftel, Admiral Haftel's um, like? alpha male power moves like he would get on the horn with picard and make demands of him and then when he was like when hang- picard sleeping yeah yeah when he's sleeping and then he <laughs> then uh he hangs up on him he's like half tail out he's like fuck you <laughs> you know uh i thought it was a it was definitely a power move from that dude for sure and then he you know he plays the nice guy at first and asks data to give him lol but then when data refuses he's like well then i'm gonna order you it sure would be nice if you just go along voluntarily scare quotes yeah that's, a, that's every thug in history is like, well, I wish you would just do what I want of your own will. But if you don't, then I'm going to force you. Otherwise, bad things might happen, you know? You know, it'd be, it'd be a real shame. Be a real Have shame. you guys seen any of the commercials for the new Picard movie that's coming out? It's a TV series, sir. But yes, I have. Is it really? Yeah. Wait, so um, what's his face? The actor who plays Picard, Patrick Stewart, yeah. is he's in it. And it's yeah. a Picard TV series. You're correct, sir. Right. Now, Robert, I think you were telling me that there was a sneak preview at the Comic-Con. Of Data. Yes. And that there's some speculation that yes. one of the characters from this episode, The Offspring, might be in that or alluded to. Well, I was watching Red Letter Media and they were speculating a bunch. They did like a half an hour episode where they were just speculating Off about of what like the this series is going to do, what could happen. And there's this half, you know, there's this special woman at the heart of this trailer and she's, you know, all the, this big plot revolves around her and she's the key to everything and blah, 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 blah. And she also happens to be able to kick butt, you know, and do all kinds of martial arts and stuff like super strong. So it's they're rip- speculating either she's half human, half Borg, or she could be Data's daughter. Or she's River from Serenity. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, that's how they do. It's how these TV shows do now. It's like, you know, magical female super important person is the key to everything and blah 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 all but right. anyway that's why we were i was excited that we were actually going to be timely with this episode because there's a chance that it's it's actually lol reborn is this character well at the end of this episode lol's memories do survive within data so theoretically 
some point in the future, you could extract those, implant them when you better perfect the positronic brain situation. Yeah, as long as Data doesn't die in the meantime, but which he did, he explodes. One lucky shot by Romulan, right? But maybe he downloaded his brain on some hard drive somewhere or whatever, you know, some positronic hard drive of some kind. We don't know. They made a copy. Making copies. I thought it was interesting how in that sneak peek, they have the technology now to make Data actually look like an android. And it would seem as if the original vision of Data was that, he, I don't know, have you heard of the Uncanny Valley? Is that he is kind sure. of in the Uncanny Valley area? So he must be very off-putting to interact with in real life. If the original version or the intended version of him is to be more bionic looking, but also mm. very, I thought it was interesting. Mm. You're talking about this from the trailer's perspective? Yeah. Yeah. There was a sneak peek trailer. Now, I haven't watched it, but I would speculate without watching it. I'm just going to run my mouth here. Do it. Yeah. Run your mouth in. That because it's a series about Picard being older, it's fine that John or that John Luke Picard is, is an older man. But Data was an android. He's not supposed to age. And Brent Spiner, who played him, is now 30 years older. So you kind of have to do something different, right? You can't have this tottering around Brent Spiner being Data, who's not supposed to age. Yeah, and Marvel's done a really good job with their de-aging tech. So, yeah, loan it over to those guys and de-age them a little bit. Deep fake. Sure, deep fake it. Uh, That's not quite perfected yet, but yeah. It's just a matter of time. That's right, baby. So I actually just saw a note I wrote down that's kind of related to the rant I did a few minutes ago about our homeschooling our kids and trying to figure out how to, to manage it and have them struggle. Data actually says this too, lol. The struggle is most important. The effort yields its own rewards, and the different that is the difference between knowledge and experience. So I just continued to scroll and saw that. So I don't know if maybe I remembered that I'd written that down, and that's why I made that point earlier. But now I have confirmation bias, so maybe I'm just... Who knows? I'd seeded and seeded it in my mind earlier. Now, when the admiral does finally, you know, starts to order Picard, where he orders Data to hand over Lal, essentially, Picard launches into this speech where he's like, you know, not on my watch, buddy. But he goes, "There are times when men of good kinds cannot blindly follow order. You acknowledge their sentience, but ignore their personal liberties and freedom. Order a man to hand over his child to the state? Not while I'm captain." Now, I would hope that you know everybody agrees there are times when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders i would hope that was always why why is this relegated to sometimes um yeah that's a good question i mean i i really enjoyed that speech in this it was very powerful and very libertarian but yeah to qualify it with well there are times when you should stand up to this nonsense but the rest of the time is fine (laughs) But I think what he was saying was this particular moment is when it's risen to a point where he's actually going to do something about it. And he's actually going to stand up to this very alpha, you know, powerful guy, this commanding officer, ordering him around, ordering things to happen. And he's like, belay that order. Right. He's he's a guy who's perfectly fine giving orders and taking orders. He's fine with orders. He likes orders, even though orders by their very nature come with the threat of violence, that if you don't do it, Bad things are going to happen. But in this instance, he goes very libertarian all of a sudden. Like, even he's got a point at which, you know, the, the orders, his conscience takes over. Yeah, and even he he, he knows that Haftel came here uh, with the decision already in his pocket, right? Um, and yeah. under the pretense that he was here to form an opinion, and he calls him on it. Right. And I think he's absolutely correct. Um, and then earlier when he asks Data, Haftel asks Data to hand over Lal. He makes some kind of point about, you know, sometimes you have to let them go so that they can more fully 
develop or be free or whatever. He's talking about his own kids. And granted, Data's only had LOL for like three weeks or something, where Haftel had his kids for 18 years, roughly, probably. Um, so it's, it's quite a different time frame here. But Data asks him a very good question. And he's like, well, how much experience did you have before your child was born? Because that was Haftel telling him, well, how, how can you handle this, having a, an offspring when you have never had one before? And yeah, he turns it right around on him, which I think is brilliant. And I got to say, having a kid changes your life pretty significantly. And you probably never feel ready, right? Yeah, and there's right? always going to be somebody who comes in. And he's like the typical, you know, authoritarian who always thinks he knows best. And he's not, he's willing to use violence to get what he wants. He, 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 he already had his opinion that he wanted this thing to happen on his watch, have it under his control. Even though all his concerns, other than the robots possibly getting blown up, but that could happen anywhere. He had them all concerned, like Data's following all the procedures and whatnot, and you can follow all his work probably through your subspace television or notes or records or whatever you want. But he wanted the control, and he still, yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah, and he even admits, I think, later on in that speech that Data is the father. And so he sort of wants it both ways. He wants to be a toaster that he can take, but then he's also recognizing or at least maybe appeasing data. Like, I'll say you're the father, even though I don't really mean it. Sure. Now, when Haftel has Lol, and Pat, we'll have you jump in. Um, and he, so he's talking to Lol, and he's like, hey, we want to take you to this Gaylor for And she's like, well, have I done something wrong? Because in her mind, she's like, well, this is some kind of a punishment, right? So if I haven't done anything, anything wrong, then why would you take me somewhere I don't want? And he even says, well, you've done nothing wrong. And then she stands up for Data and is like, you do not speak of him with respect. Yeah, she's a good kid. But apparently either her emotions got the better of her and she died or there's some flaw in Data's whatever building of her. But I, I tend to think that I tend to think that they didn't want to have this character repeat. So they just had to kill her off at the end for some reason. Sure didn't seem like there was a good reason for her to die. Well, I'll tell you, the, the reason that she had to die in this episode was because they were at a point where they would either have to tackle the philosophical conundrum that they presented and solve it or kill off the character. And they had like five minutes left in the episode. So they went with kill off the character. Yeah. Yeah. Da yeah. It, it, Picard is making this bold stand, standing up for the rights of Lol and Data. And then it's cut in by, oh, Law's dying. So we got to deal with that. Yeah, because like the, I guess it's before the commercial break, right? Haftel's like, I am Starfleet. You're jeopardizing your your career, Picard. You know, it's like this real battle is about to happen. And then... This dick measuring contest, basically. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, cascade failure. And then Haftel comes around because he, he assists Data in trying to save her, right? Because she's having like an emotional... Basically, a, Break down. a stroke from this, from the emotions that she's experiencing with about to being like taken from her father. Um, so this is where we can maybe get into some wrongful death, perhaps, Pat, because this situation would not have occurred had they not threatened to rip her from the arms of her father before the umbilical cord is even cut. Um, but Haftel respects Data for the effort that he put in trying to save her. And he recognized the emotion that Data had even though data wouldn't recognize it as a now in any kind of trial that would come about of any kind of wrongful death they would need to demonstrate not only that this was the cause but also that this wouldn't have happened normally right like there is not due to some fatal flaw in her manufacturing well i mean that's kind of the crux of what and why a wrongful death suit would fail on the element so i mean there's there's four essential elements to a wrongful death the first being 
negligence is someone's actions falling below the duty of care. Um, the other one would be breaching the duty of care. The third one would be causation itself. And that's where I think it would fail. Um, and the fourth one would be damages. You know, you have to prove the damages that someone actually died, that we suffered a loss, that we have the lack of companionship that we would have had from. So it would have to be brought on by the decedent's relatives. So data would have the claim. It'd be a loss of companionship or any you know tangible financial things that he would have had to spend because she died, like funeral costs, uh, what have you. So I think that it would fail for causation because it has to be foreseeable. Whatever the event was has to be foreseeable. And in this situation, there's no precedent for it. It's completely unprecedented. How would we know that she would have died because of our, you know, until yesterday, she couldn't even feel emotions. So how are we supposed to claim that her, was it a suicide? I didn't finish the last six minutes. You would write before. It's unclear. Either it's a suicide or she has some sort of a stroke from emotional stress. Yeah. I mean, that's not foreseeable. How how are we supposed to hold someone legally accountable for causing an action if they even caused it when they didn't even know that their actions would have resulted in her death? Well, let's say you could res- you did know. Let's say that um, you know she will die if she suffers any kind of emotional stress. Imagine being her boyfriend <laughs> walking that tightrope. That'd be way too much pressure, man. I mean, then you'd you have- never do anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, you'd really have to determine whether or not, and this would be a question for the jury, you'd have to determine whether or not the behavior to cause her emotional stress death is unreasonable. And that's kind of, in some ways, it's a subjective standard because it's based off of, um, I don't know, custom and culture of the people that are on the jury. Robert, wasn't there a, sorry to cut you off, Pat. All right. I'm going to let you finish. But Robert, this reminds me of that girl who would text somebody and say oh you should kill yourself oh yeah yeah that was a famous case over on the in the northeast right yeah the so, guy that ended, ultimately did kill himself yeah so was she found liable in that guilty of that i think she was but i remember arguing against that, saying that she was just a really bad advice giver because you know he has self-ownership she doesn't have ownership over it. right she's just basically a friend who's saying hey you should kill yourself is everyone guilty if you go around saying, hey, you should kill yourself, and then they end up doing it. You know, that reminds me of um, my wife and I just finished the first season of True Detective, which is pretty good. It's a little bit hokey, but uh, the McConaughey character tells one of the women who's killing her kids that she should kill herself. That was like messed up. Uh, but anyway, mm. um, wasn't the, this is a can of worms, but wasn't the Charlottesville situation that the guy drove his car into the crowd? Obviously a bad thing. But what was preceding that, I, I'm a little fuzzy on. But the the woman who died, she wasn't actually hit by the car, right? She had like a heart attack. Is that is that correct? And would that be a similar thing to this emotional trauma, traumatic experience that Lol experienced that caused her to have this cascading failure from the emotional stroke? You know, I really don't know the facts on that case, so I really can't say. If that's the case, then yeah, it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot more difficult to prove. But I know that that guy's like what serving life. Yeah, I think multiple life sentences. I'm, I, yeah. Pat, can you explain what the point of multiple life sentences? I mean, because you only live once. Right? Well, I mean, the occasional person gets resuscitated, you know, sees the light and then comes back down or whatever. I mean, I would assume it's symbolic. Yeah, that seems to be the case, especially when it's multiple life sentences without the possibility of parole. Yeah. Yeah. So um, any final notes from anyone before we get into the final summary and review? So, well, what did we con- conclude? That it would be a failure? Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't that, take that, that. That case would be a loser. 
I yeah, think I she too. was a ticking time bomb. If if she's going to experience high rates of emotion and that's going to have cascading failure for her, then it's just a matter of time before some situation occurred where this would have been triggered. Yeah, during life, any 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 life situation, somebody laughs at her, she cries, she dies. Ridiculous. Yeah, but I'm not excusing what the Federation was trying to do. You know, right. Haftel was going to rip her from her father's arms and make make this. What was the thing that Picard said? Make the parent hand over their child to the state he was going to make that happen until they did this like easy out like oh we'll just make her die yeah i would have been interested to see that continue the rest of that like the part two episode where picard's arguing and fighting for them that'd be good but ultimately it's a 40 minute show i don't know maybe you might be able to prevail on some other kind of action other than a wrongful death um if it was anyone other than the state who was taking this child away you might have a cause of action Hmm. well i would hope so what if, what if you have an infant who is actually all-knowing, completely understands what's happening to them when someone took them away from there? That'd be an, a, a strange situation. It'd be a strange situation, probably outside of the norm, and it'd be unforeseeable, I suppose. But an injustice, all the same. Yeah, other than that, I don't have anything else. All right. Cool. Well, I felt like this was a bit of a meandering one, but uh, still not bad. Still not bad. So let's get into Final Summary Review. Why don't we start with you, Robert? Okay. Well, this episode is another excellent Star Trek episode. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as the previous episodes because this one kind of just like a continuation of the same themes. They goes over some of the same kind of ideas, whether, you know, a robot is a sentient thing. I mean, they kind of brush over that and it's more focused on the parenting aspects. But, you know, I mean, you're a parent. I'm not a parent, but I can still sympathize with the things Data says in this episode. It seemed like he was speaking with the voice of the author. And I couldn't help but agree with him almost all the time. I, I thought that he made some excellent points. And then Picard was actually quite good, even after his weird immediate thinking that he she was just like this weird invention. And then one talk with Troy and all of a sudden he's back on board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I do believe these things are alive. Um, other than that, uh, it was a good episode. I'm going to give it a seven. These are just, you know, they're solid episodes. Star Trek The Next Generation is a great show. It still holds up after all this time. Even though the special effects are getting hokier and hokier, the the older it gets. All right. Very good, Robert. How about you, Pat? Yeah, in, in some respects, I think you could tell based off of the dialogue and the script that whoever was writing the show was, in fact, um, I've been a parent for about two and a half months now, maybe longer if you consider life to be in, in utero. So coming on a year pretty soon, if, if that's what you think. But there was one point in time when Data says, it's interesting to note that in teaching law, I am also learning about the world as if I was relearning. In some ways, I've I've noticed that, and that's been very interesting about being. So, I don't know. I think it was another solid episode. I'd say a seven or a seven point five. But yeah, there's some. It was good to do the show because the listener. So we have the pre-show bonus content where Patreon supporters can comment on the episode as we're recording it. And I believe it was Mike's brought up the whole wrongful death thing. I didn't even think about that, and that's kind of what I do. So. Props to that. Yeah, he's a good egg. We like him. And and like we like all of our Patreon supporters, uh, both for Actual Anarchy, Last Nighters, uh, and Liberty Weekly. I guess three. I said both is uh, is weird and awkward now. But um, you guys can get a handle on the uh, Patreon bonus content by going to libertyweekly.net slash Patreon or lastnighters.com. And we'd appreciate that if you would uh, partake. Thank you for we, your... We like shekels. All the shekels. Well, especially if we're going to have to start spending uh, some extra money to get google to work the way it used to with the youtubes so we'll see that's that's also in our pre-show content discussion on 
figuring out how to make this all work. Old man Elwood here. Yeah, Daniel is like he reminds me of Brooks from the Shawshank Redemption. He's like this. He's like this institutionalized character that gets released out into the real world, and everything's moving real fast and confusing. And he's like, "Oh, what is all this? What's happening?" And he just can't take it, and he ends up killing himself. So that's what's going to happen to Daniel if we can't get this Google thing back working again. I don't want him to kill himself. So let's get that happening. Elwood was here. All right, yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. The wrongful death. So give us the your moving too fast. Give us your Patreon money. Otherwise, we're going to sue YouTube. Uh, probably not. Anyway, uh, I also felt like this was a good episode, though not as good as the prior episode. I really enjoyed uh, Measure of a Man. Um, I thought that that one had deeper philosophical things. This one had more... We're going to take you on a tour of a parent-child relationship and them interacting um, with you know situations, but a, a little bit awkwardly because it's an android. And so they were sort of doing this you know like um what do you call it where you do like a, a progressive dinner where you go from one location and then to another and then to another kind of felt like they were just moving us along like okay we're gonna highlight this a little bit and then we're gonna move on to this other thing highlight this a little bit but the picard speech was very strong and i did think that data displayed emotions and experienced emotions without recognition and at the end she says i love you father i wish i could feel it too response and she says she'll feel it for both of them and then she says, thank you for my life. And that's like, that's a good kid right there. So I'm also going to give this one a seven. So triple sevens for us. It's a very lucky night that we were able to finally record an episode. So thank you, Pat. Yeah, oh. buddy. It's always a pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So, Robert, I think next week uh, we keep kind of changing things around, but um, we're going to have a guest who's a musician, and he had wanted to do A Star is Born, but then some things happened in his musical career that have Ooh. impacted him in such a way to where now he thinks Crazy Heart might give him more of a angle to talk about. Why are these this is like all alcoholic movies? Is this what's going on with him? Is he <laughs> drinking himself to death? Is that what's happening? I don't think that's the issue. Um, but uh, Crazy Heart... Did he, did he forget a kid in a mall and just walk <laughs> away because he was drunk? Is that what happened? Uh, I, we'll ask him. We'll ask him, ask him next week uh, when we watch another Jeff Lebowski movie because we just had... Lebowski for uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah. Oh, good old Jeff Bridges keeps coming back. He's like a bad penny. But keeps he's a good up. actor. I like him. I like him very much. So yeah. that'll be our episode next week uh, with Scott, who is a musician, talking about Crazy Heart. So we'll see you guys next week. Um, you guys can follow uh, Pat's work at libertyweekly.net. And this episode and show notes and more can be found at lastnerds.com slash 83. And you can also find it at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And... Uh, Thank you guys very much, and good night from last night. days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. 
Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.